Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 17 of Across the Board, the podcast which focuses on boards of directors, corporate governance, and risk management at the board level. Today, I have with me Marsha Urshagi Hames, the Managing Director of Strategy at LRN. We visit about board accountability and what it means for a board to be accountable, who a board should be accountable to, the roles of various stakeholders in keeping boards accountable, and how do you have a dialogue around keeping a board accountable. We blend these questions into many of the current headlines of scandals and lack of involvement by the board of directors. It's a fascinating exploration of what board accountability is and how you keep a board accountable. Across the Board is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Marsha Urshagi Hames. Did I get that right? Absolutely. She is with LRN, the Managing Director of Strategy. And I have uh, asked her today, uh, to visit with us about board accountability. And I recognize that's a pretty broad topic, Marcia, but one of the things that has struck me over the past probably 18 months is you can name the corporate scandal and the question, uh, one of the first questions is always where is the board or where was the board? So I really am trying to get boards of directors and those who report to boards of directors to focus on the board's role in accountability for compliance and accountability for a wide variety of laws. So it seems like to me the work you have done and um, are continuing to do gives you, uh, makes you uniquely suited to help us understand that. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, thank you again for uh, taking the time to visit with us today. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to our discussion. So if I could maybe just start with a, a fairly broad question, what what do you view is board accountability. Yeah, so it it is evolving. It's interesting. It's an evolving and unfolding its evolution before our eyes. So I think that traditionally board accountability has been very, very focused on, you know, uh, you know, appointing the chief executive, organizational planning, assessing kind of where the business is going in terms of product services. There's certainly a very clear fiduciary responsibility, you know, to shareholders, consumers. Um, you know, administration of, let's say, investments, um, asset growth, and, uh, et cetera. So the, we have these in place, and then we have sort of what the board really should be accountable for. Um, and given, you know, what you shared at the top of the hour around uh, all the headlines, there there is no failure of finding headlines, but there's a clear common thread around the board's failure to act. And I think that is the the issue that boards are facing today. They're really trying to understand what their role should be with respect to not only ethics and compliance and overall governance, but really culture, cultural accountability, accountability for decisions that were made at the top, at the middle, and throughout. And I think the even individual liability around that is starting to surface significantly. So, Marsha, I think uh, many of my listeners are aware of some general uh, Delaware corporate law, which sets some basic parameters for what a corporation should do around compliance. Uh, That's the Caremark decision and Stone v. Ritter. But as you said, the situation is evolving and has evolved significantly in the past 18, 
12 to 18 months. And the board's role is much more um, in-depth and important, I think, than just the basic legal requirements. We've now got companies who have sustained huge reputational hits um, for the conduct of their senior executives and others in the company, but also the conduct in, of the board in either facilitating uh, or allowing the uh uh, conduct to continue. Why should a board, in your view, be held accountable? Yeah, so the, the mere definition when you look at the role of a board of director as stewards of the organization, um, essentially they should even be mirroring really personally, individually, the type of behavior they expect to see from their own senior executives. So boards should not simply be focused on checklists you know, checklists of compliance, checklists of, you know, do we have a code of conduct in place? Do we have policies? Um, do we have training? Um, you have to look at, you know, compliance or good compliance is an outcome of a healthy culture. And when you see the, the headlines and the stories over the last 18, 20, 24 months, uh, you wonder where was the board? Where was the executive team? And if you select some of the kind of clear examples, let's say um, unethical sales practices with a large financial services organization or countless examples of um, very senior executives uh, who were investigated for um, misconduct, whether it's bribery, whether it's sexual harassment, misconduct, and you wonder, okay, the board was clearly aware. Um, in some cases, the board even authorized settling allegations. Uh, in some cases, the board focuses on taking a more defensive posture, right? They feel that their role is to defend and protect the reputation of the company, even if it means at the extent of um, the, the shame, the um, career-limiting decisions of individuals from, that are within the organization. So, so that's where I think there is this kind of gray area Right? Why, why wasn't there further inquiry by the board or demand for information on the behavior, on the conduct? Was everything investigated objectively and fair? Um, why wasn't more action taken? And I think that's where you're seeing the shift because if it's just a defensive posture and it's a check, check the box, yeah, that's, you know, I guess that's what boards have always been doing. But there is, I, I think, Tom, quite frankly, that the the turning point right now is social media greater transparency well and that because really, of the yeah that really leads to, to the next area that i wanted to get into uh, with you which is um, if uh, senior executives report to the board who does the board report to is it solely the sta uh, the shareholders are there other stakeholders you started to mention uh, the social media phenomena around boards who can yeah. really force a board to be accountable so that's what's interesting. So we can look at what's on paper, and then we can look at the movement that is in action. So um, social media, you know, in my own kind of professional opinion, given that I, I kind of sit in the in the boardrooms and in the corridors of corporations, I spend a lot of time confidentially working and advising senior leaders around how to really shape their cultures, their workforce cultures, and. Across the board, across industries, I'm seeing that social media has really emerged as an equalizer. It's, it's created pockets of empowerment, right? We can see all these hashtag movements, but it's also created pockets of discomfort and great exposure. Um, it's, it's created a lot of pockets of ugly, 
and a lot of pockets of good. But as it's exposed negative patterns of misconduct or negative patterns of willful blindness, you know, we can look at um, uh, the, the situation around USA Gymnastics and the Olympic Committee and, and uh, Michigan State and the whole Dr. Larry Nasser case. You see that there were not dozens, there were hundreds, hundreds of cases that were raised. And you, and you, and you think to yourself, okay, the board was aware. The president of the university was aware. The Olympic Committee was aware. So when you look at all the different stewards that had the opportunity to take action, did they not take action because they thought that they were not accountable to the workforce, to the shareholders, to the consumers? So what's happened is the consumers, the consumption or uh, the, the consumption of that talent, of that field, of that action is now exposing and holding the boards accountable. And it's, it's fascinating that that became the tipping point. So when the workforce spoke out, that wasn't enough of a tipping point. You know, when allegations are raised, that's not enough of an in, a tipping point. As a matter of fact, there's plenty of cases of large media organizations in the last 18 to 22 months that have, that have showed that they were settling uh, n- numerous allegations of sexual misconduct and other things by their very senior executives. But it wasn't until advertisers pulled out of their shows or their, you know, and it impacted their ratings that they started to wake up. So, Tom, I really think that social media and greater transparency on accountability of decision-making and taking action is what is the tipping point right now. So that really brings me to another area, which is boards have either awoken or become been made aware. Um, somehow they have now uh, decided they need to be more active, and uh, but many don't know what to do. Um, the, you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast that they're aware of the checklist. Uh, they're asked certain questions. They are probably very good at taking a look at financial data and seeing trends, uh, but they're not really aware of uh, compliance issues. They're certainly not aware of specific uh, uh, sexual harassment issues or, or other uh, large reputational issues that have come to the fore. How do you begin to have a dialogue with a board to help them understand how to fu- not what their roles are, but how to fulfill that role? Yeah, so I think it needs to be a two-way dialogue, and it needs to be an ongoing dialogue. Uh, every every organization's culture is going to be slightly nuanced or different, but the one kind of thread that I would would say could be a, a common action is that if there isn't a two-way dialogue between independent um, reporting back up to the board about the company's compliance and ethics program, the processes in place, the types of um, dialogue between workforce to leadership, leadership to the board, and back and forth, they need to have greater visibility into what those activities are looking like. Um, They also need to be a part of the conversation. Uh, so the board of directors shouldn't be some shadowy kind of, in a, you know, they meet quietly and it's not as transparent back to the workforce. I think that their discussions and their activities, some of the tenants or summative points around what are the actions taking, what are they evaluating, that greater transparency and I would say even overall procedural justice around what they're evaluating and taking action on really matters to the workforce. 
and dialogue amongst themselves. So again, as you're seeing several board members, you can see the case of the uh, Wynn Resorts with Steve Wynn and the board shakeup there. You're seeing Wells Fargo. We're seeing you know, there's, there's countless examples right now, even with the Humane Society, uh, where seven board members resigned uh, after uh, it was revealed that there had been, you know, three different incidents of um, uh, sexual harassment investigation of the CEO. The CEO has now stepped down, but when you see that board members are starting to realize, wow, this goes beyond just checklists. We need to actually have a, an ongoing dialogue as a group of peers. And we need to hold each other accountable and really challenge, you know, rigorously challenge, why are we here? Are we shepherds of, of, of a brand in spite of? Or are we shepherds of a brand that is backed by values, integrity, and trust? So you said something that uh, I've never heard anyone talk about in the context of boards of directors and particularly board oversight, and that was procedural justice. I'd like to ask you, could you explain a little bit about what you see as the board's role around corporate procedural justice? Yeah, so when when there are... You know, there are going to be routine investigations in organizations. There are going to be claims raised. Um, most organizations have a process to go about investigating um, the claims. What has happened in a lot of these cases is, A, investigations don't happen, yet the board is a part of approving the settlements. And in many of these cases, these CEOs or these senior executives who um, are the alleged assaulters have terms in their contract and uh, or terms in their contract that simply say, look, if, I, if you're convicted of this act or sexual assault or if you violate the code of conduct, you, it is grounds for termination. So if you have investigations that are not happening or not revealed and transparent or the board is a part of settling before an investigation happens, that means that they're essentially not providing that transparency, not only to themselves, they're not, they're not doing the due diligence to investigate and understand what actually has occurred. And if the investigation does happen and the truth is brought to light and they still agree to settle, even if they want to justify it as, look, we want, you know, in many of these cases, they want to keep the brand secure, right? Their, their role is to ensure that the brand is profitable. It is perceived <laughs> to be, you know, a, a solid, stable, profitable brand. They, they want to continue to grow the business against that brand. But what we're seeing today is if a brand is tarnished by the behavior of leaders of that brand, the brand will plummet. So there's two ways to go about it. So procedural justice simply means that you are providing greater transparency around examples of how, as an organization, we have taken action to eradicate toxic behavior. So, and there are companies who are doing it. So one of the um, questions that boards, I think, struggle with is, how do you distinguish or how does a board distinguish between oversight of some of these issues and really moving down into managing these issues, how do you counsel a board to do the board's role of oversight as opposed to really moving into the management role? Yeah, so I think, you know, to me, oversight is, again, looking at risk exposure, um, results of, let's say, a risk assessment, um, an audit. 
they're, they're, it's looking at results of, let's say, um, training. You know, have we received, have we reached 100% compliance on our annual code training? Uh, so there is oversight on running the business in terms of the checks and balances or check the box activities. And then there's management. And you can even, you can manage your risk tolerance. You can manage, uh, to control a narrative or a message, or you can lead. And I think that the shift that we're seeing between kind of the oversight trending to management, I think we're actually shifting from oversight to leadership. And because board members are increasingly concerned about their own personal responsibilities and liabilities, and that's where you're seeing some of these very public resignations and board shakeups right now, um, it's because they are trying to shift to more of a leading with principles model versus a managing down. Let's manage reputation. Let's manage behavior. Let's, you know, let's write a policy and then oversee that policy. And that's just not sustainable. I really like that phrase, leading with principles. Is is that something you found resonates with boards when you uh, either visit with them or uh, give them guidance or training? Yes, there there is a desire to move in that direction by those, I wouldn't even say collective boards, but individuals who carry that very important, influential role. So, again, materially, we're seeing that transformation happen or unfold before our eyes. So I think there's a desire or an aspiration to shift in that direction, but there's so much historical structure that has to be broken and unpacked and rebuilt to get there. So now let me turn to a couple of specific issues around compliance. Last November, when the Department of Justice released its new FCPA corporate enforcement policy, one of the things it specifically stated was that a board should have compliance expertise on the board. Uh, in, I've heard speeches from government representatives since that time, and they really advocate that a best practice for a board is to have a true compliance professional on the board. Uh, do you think that's something that a uh, board should move towards? Yeah, I think that having um, a compliance expert matters, but I would look at also wh- really what is the role of the compliance officer? Does the compliance officer direct re- directly report to the board, and do they serve in that role? So that is an opportunity. So a lot of organizations who have appointed compliance officers, that individual can have a seat on the board as the expert, and that independence really matters. And then... uh, If you'd like, into why, but let's keep going. No, no, please go into why. Yeah, so, so... the reason these independence, and again, I think the headlines are revealing a lot of this, is that in several of these cases, or a or good percentage of the headlines that have recently hit in the last 18 months, there was an inherent conflict between the role of the GC or the general counsel in overseeing the compliance and ethics program, the compliance ethics policies, versus and having an independent compliance officer. Because a general counsel's role is to essentially defend the organization. So when something is raised, um, going back to procedural justice, um, when something is called in, when something is raised, um, his or her role is to protect and defend the organization. That's, I think, what we saw even over in the case of Larry Nasser, right? Whereas when you have 
a independent compliance officer where he or she has a direct reporting structure into the board, that compliance officer not only has a, has a seat at the table and can raise and escalate the topics around workforce governance and culture, not just compliance, culture, because when you lead with culture, compliance is an outcome. But that individual also has the independent ability to escalate concerns about, you know, blatant or gray misconduct and behavior by senior executives in the organization. So how can you have that independence if the compliance officer is reporting to the CFO or the general counsel or if the GC is actually the acting compliance officer? You just don't have that independence. What are some of, uh, can you give us uh, some examples of boards that you feel have really been able to make this transition to leading with principles? So I, I'm not going to name organizations today, uh, but I can say that that the conversation is very palpable right now. And if you look at the headlines, it's not hard to see which organizations are quickly shaking up their board composition. Some are doing it because they, you know, reforms have been put into place all the way, you know, if you, if you look at kind of the Federal Reserve action with, with um, let's say, Wells Fargo, I think that was a very open case. But what I often see is that when there is a time of crises, when there's a crisis of trust, when there is, you know, blatant, widespread abuse and misconduct in how organizations were run or segments of the organization, it creates an opportunity to create kind of that best practice. So I will be watching the Wells Fargo case um, very intently. I am very curious to see that with, let's say, the compositional change, will they shift into a direction that is focused on leading with principles? The organizations I'm speaking to, in full disclosure, are aspiring to lead with principles, and they're changing how they're trying to recruit and develop their next generation of board leadership in light of what is unfolding kind of on a very public national conversation scale. But again, this is going to take time. Uh, and it's going to take time because there's certain types of kind of cultural norms of complicity, of this is how we've always done it. And there are norms that are very attuned to certain types of industries. So, you know, we're seeing it in, you know, higher ed institutions. We're seeing it in, you know, some financial services. We're seeing it where it's sort of like, well, this is how we've always done it. You know, we're focused on our reputation. We'll, we'll eliminate kind of the bad players here. But overall, um, you know, it's business as usual. I think that the, the social conversation of empowerment and the power of one to many, you know, where individuals are bringing their story very public right now, it's forcing, whether they like it or not, it's forcing boards to have this conversation around leading with principles and what does that really look like. And where I come to play and what, where LRN is coming into play is we are helping shape what that looks like in action. So if a board of directors says, look, we really want to become a more leading with principles organization, we really want to put values into action, that's where LRN comes in and can help them construct the strategy and provide the pillars around what that can really look like. So you mentioned Wells Fargo and the Federal Reserve order uh, around Wells Fargo. Um, this, to my knowledge, was the first time I'd seen the Federal Reserve step in and specify that they found the Board of Directors' uh, actions insufficient, both uh, during the uh, time of the incidents in question, but also uh, after resolution and in the remediation phase. Um, 
do you find that, um, I guess I was a little surprised to see the, the regulators step in, but having the regulator step in, is this something in addition to the reputational risk, in addition to potentially other stakeholders racing issues, is this something you have seen get boards of directors' attention? It, I mean, it's gotten the board, it's definitely gotten the attention. It's, 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 um, it's a rallying cry of attention. Because you, because what, what are the messages that they're sending? When the regulators step in, okay, because folks are always looking at, well, what do the regulators expect? And then everyone operates to that minimum bar. But we know just in practice and the research shows that you need to go beyond the bar, right? So you can't legislate behavior. So, yeah, the Fed Reserve has instructed these are the changes and the reforms that are going to be put into place. But now the challenge, and this is on a very public kind of scale, is what is Wells going to do to go beyond that? Can they put in the model to lead principally and to demonstrate their their concern and uh, their concern for their not only uh, shareholders, forget about it, their consumers, right? This, these are their customers that are materially that they have materially abused. So, so it's not so. Yes, the reg, regs have stepped in and folks are taking watch and paying attention, but to, to institute these sanctions and to impose this on the bank by the Federal Reserve, at the end of the day, you have to go beyond that bar. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, I mean, look at, again, there's plenty of examples here of boards that are quickly trying to assess as an individual, what is my liability of continuing to remain aligned with this organization. And you're seeing board members, some of them are quietly resigning from other organizations. Some are publicly resigning to quickly send the message that they don't want to be associated with the complicity of those or of those organizations. So I think it's, I think it's changing and it's sending a very strong message. So it really seems like the not only the, has the marketplace responded, the regulators have responded, uh, many stakeholders have responded, and now I think boards are, are responding uh, as well. I have been speaking with, I hope I get this right, uh, Marsha Urshagi Haynes. Did I do it right again or did I miss it up? Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Marsha Urshagi Haynes, yes. yes. It's been great to be here. Um, thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Across the Board. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast, as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only podcast focusing on board of directors, corporate governance, and risk management and oversight by boards. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please give me a shout via email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode of Across the Board. Across the Board is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.